Welcome one and all to episode 160 of the original Draft Breakdown Podcast. I'm your host, Seth Cox. With me tonight, my co-host, Justin Higdon. And Justin, well, we're now into the interesting part of our our breakdowns heading into the 2022 college football season previewing the 2023 nfl draft because well we're through the sec in the big 10 and now there is a uh, steep steep drop off as we head into the acc but before we get there how are you doing man doing very well um i want to wish my youngest daughter a happy fourth birthday we celebrated that this past weekend it feels like uh, so long ago that we went on our hiatus, and at that time, my wife was actually pregnant at the time. Uh, so during that that three years while we were gone, part of that was because of uh, me having a very young child. So now she's four, and she's going on 14. So happy birthday, Charlie. Um, otherwise, doing great. We, we're past the power two, and we're into the middle three conferences, and then we'll probably lump all the group of five conferences together into a single show a single week of shows because we what we're what we've been doing is uh, early in the week we've been covering the conference breaking down all the teams per conference and then on our patreon shows which you can get for two bucks a month uh one one per week i think it's worth your while but that's where we're breaking down kind of the under the radar nfl draft prospects heading into the year so um ACC, you know, there's some there's some more talent here than I kind of expected when I went went into this and when I started writing the show sheet for us this week. So I actually think we've got some good shows coming up, even if we don't think this these conferences are as good as the SEC and the Big Ten. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to to kind of get through here. Uh, we're gonna start with let's start with the coastal because neither one's really good. But the coastal is probably a little more interesting. I don't know. I mean, well, the champ came out of coastal conference or coastal division last year, right? And and they, so that that'll be something we talk about. We'll start again at seven. These are ranked by Athlon Sports. If you have any uh, gripe, why Duke is the worst team in the ACC coastal, you can talk to them. Uh, they have a new head coach, David Cutcliffe's finally out. Um, they've been. 10 and 25 the last three years, not a great program right now. Um, it, I mean, just not much to discuss with Duke. We do have uh, one player to discuss. I'll tease this, but that's going to be on the Patreon show this week. Number six in the coastal is Georgia Tech. Um, you know, they're still trying to figure out what to do post- Paul Johnson era, and they haven't really figured it out yet. And not just that, but they've lost their best player, Jameer Gibbs, transferred to Alabama. Um, meanwhile, their starting quarterback, Jeff Sims, has two transfers challenging him for playing time this year. GT still a mess. They were never going to be great with with Paul Johnson, but isn't that one of those things you just leave well enough alone? Well, you know, I think at least they were interesting when they ran a triple option, that type of offense, because it made them different. It made them, it made teams have to game plan for them. And now they've gone the more conventional route. And to do that and compete, you've got to be able to recruit. And that hasn't really 
taken hold yet this program. Jeff Sims seemed like an interesting player as a freshman. He seemed like a guy who was going to be a riser, but then regressed a little bit last year. And like you said, Gibbs is gone now. So Sims has to really try and make things happen. And he doesn't have a lot around him right now. So it will be a challenge for him to hold off, you know, some other suitors for his job because there's no there's no guarantee he's going to be able to keep it. It's just Georgia Tech has not been very good and uh, they're not really trending in the right direction. So we could see another coaching change there if things don't turn around. Uh, Virginia, I think they've got them fifth. Athlon's got them fifth in the Coastal Division, but I think that at least their offense is bringing back a lot of firepower. Brennan Armstrong, he's a lefty quarterback. He doesn't have a really strong arm. In fact, his arm sometimes looks like a pop gun, but uh, like almost Kellen Moore-ish. But he gets the job done. He had over 4,400 yards last year, almost nine yards per attempt, 65% completion percentage. He had a couple games, I think at least one, where he threw for over 500, and a couple others where he was over 400. He's got some mobility to him. He had uh, 31 touchdowns passing. 10 picks, but also nine rushing touchdowns. And he's got a couple of good receivers uh, coming back who I'll let you talk about. Yeah, Armstrong comes back. He he threw, like you said, just for under 4,500 yards, which is impressive. Uh, those went to Dontavian Wicks, who had 57 receptions, 1,200 yards, which is absurd, right? Like, yeah, 21 yards a catch. On only 57 catches, nine touchdowns. Um, and then Keaton Thompson, this is more of the underneath guy, 78 receptions for only 990 yards and two touchdowns. So two different types of wide receivers there uh, to kind of get to know, which is, I mean, when you look at that offense, it's going to be one of the more interesting offenses to watch in college football. Um, not just the ACC, because they do have explosive firepower. Uh, Wicks is listed at 6'1", 205. He allegedly is going to be a guy in the 4'4 range. If he's that, um, you can probably expect him to be a, a top 75 to 100 pick. We've seen guys that if they legit measure in over over six foot and 200 pounds and they're sub four four they usually get looked at pretty highly right yeah and i'm i'm seeing him estimated anywhere in the high four 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 five range too but either way like you said he's got good size clearly a big time run after the catch guy and just really made the most of his targets last year and also a guy who uh, beat defensive backs deep last year too and uh as i said armstrong does not have the strongest arm right despite his his last name but uh he still hit he was still able to hit wicks deep on a number of occasions and then thompson he was a player i think he came he's, in recruited as a quarterback right he is a ninth year no sorry sixth year senior he was at Mississippi State um, in 17, 18, and 19, I believe, and then transferred to UVA and has just used the COVID policies to be able to, like, 
kind of stack stuff. And so here's what I'll say about this. Really? Last year was his first year as a, you know, as a full-time receiver. Right. So the numbers they put up are are pretty impressive in that context. and, And this is what I'll say about it. I actually don't have a problem with a kid taking advantage of stuff like this when you're talking about um, changing positions, mm-hmm. right? So, like, he went from a, a three-star uh, quarterback, and now all of a sudden he is working on a wide receiver, uh, playing wide receiver, like you said. So you look at it from that perspective. I know we make fun of it. He'll be in college for six years. Um, he'll be 24 in four. October. So, right. so he'll be 25. 25 as a rookie. So he, and, and here's the thing. He's six, four, two ten. He's a four, seven forty guy. He's borderline draftable with just those numbers. You add in the age, he's probably a, a late day three undrafted free agent type of guy. But that's to me, that's the type of thing transfer portal and and the like extended eligibility should be used for where you're talking about a guy you know changing positions changing like i mean basically he's changing majors midstream right yeah there's actually some thought though that he he's going to be more athletic in the testing than what we you know are projecting some people are saying he can run in the low 45s so he might be a player that they want to continue to bulk up. I think your read on his situation is is correct. I think he's going to be a late round to undrafted free agent, but he's a player I think you can add with that 6-4 body type. I think you can add some weight to the frame. He could end up being like a flex tight end. And then the athleticism, <clears throat> if that translates, if that carries over and he can get up to like 230, 235, then you've got uh, an interesting flex tight end player. So. He's a player we probably have spent too much time on already, but um, definitely intriguing. We try to give you guys a little background on these guys. Yeah, just intriguing in in the the fact that he was able to do what he did in his first year, basically full-time playing the position. Virginia Tech, uh, Grant Wells transferred in from Marshall. He's a redshirt sophomore. Again, you know, this is a tough... This is a tough conference. Why do you think Athlon has VT over UVA? It seems to me like UVA's got more skill, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, maybe just because of their defense. I mean, that's really all I can think. Mm-hmm. They do return a pretty strong defensive back, with Dorian Strong and Armani Chatham. You know, it's tough, man. Like, I here's the thing. I don't understand why I, I treat I treat the football similar to college basketball where like if you have a veteran point guard in college basketball, usually you're you can have a pretty good team, right? Like um I know when back in the day Ohio State was making, you know, deep runs in the tournament, they had that um you know, and and a couple of their point guards, and you look at it that it's not a you know a an always type of thing. But Brennan Armstrong is a guy that's been successful in college. I know that Grant Wells has had a, a couple of nice years at uh at Marshall, but I mean he's coming from Marshall as a 
redshirt freshman in 2020, so the, the COVID season, he only put up 2,091 yards, 18 touchdowns, and nine interceptions. Last year, he put up over 3,500 yards, but he only threw 16 touchdowns to 13 interceptions. So it's not like he got better, and now he's going to perceivably a better conference. Yeah, so they just, just must, they must really be banking on that defense. Yeah, it, and that's a curious move by by Wells. I think he, uh, I think he created a lot of intrigue around himself during that redshirt freshman season. But now, like you said, you're going from a group of five, yeah, to maybe a middle of the road Power Five conference, but it's still a big jump in competition. And and like you said, he wasn't that great last year, so it's a big time. I I don't even think there's a guarantee that he wins the job, but I think he's. You know, he transferred with the intent to win the job. So let's see how that quarterback competition ultimately plays out. I think he's got the edge, but I think it's a smaller edge than maybe he anticipated in, in that move. Um, but it, if he's got NFL aspirations, that's a move you make. You're going from – you're transferring up. So it's a, it's a prove-it deal, and I assume he thinks he can prove it. And speaking of competitions – at quarterback, that's what's going to happen at UNC. Uh, these guys are, are unheralded. There's not really a draft prospect there yet. Maybe one will emerge. But uh, the bottom line is the winner of that quarterback competition gets to throw to junior wide receiver Josh Downs. He had 101 catches for 1,335 yards. Averaged 13 yards a catch, five touchdowns last year. And he supposedly runs a sub 4 4 40 Downs is a, on the smaller side, but we've seen that that hasn't really harmed receiver prospects as far as, you know, going in the, you know, at least day two range. And we've even seen some smaller receivers go on day one. So what do you think about Downs? I'm interested to see if he is a sub 4-4 guy. Um, he played with a scatter shot, you know, quarterback last year, and he had a good season. You know, everybody was, including you and I, were concerned about Sam Howell losing all of his weapons he proved that you know he was a, a, a day two day three type of player which was what we kind of saw um and so when you look at it from that perspective i think downs has a chance to kind of cement himself as a as a day two prospect i don't know if he can work himself into a day one but i mean we've seen it with like Jahan dotson right where those guys that that play with bad quarterbacks overcome bad quarterbacks to to be highly regarded prospects. Yeah, I mean the size isn't a deal breaker, but it's probably a concern. Um, at least for some teams, he's not going to be a fit for everybody. But everybody gets everybody calms down about the size when you can run a sub four four. Uh, I think my favorite prospect on UNC coming into the year is cornerback Tony Grimes. He's the leader, uh, at least in terms of draft prospects, on that defense. He's six foot, 195 pounds. He runs a four-four. He was a five-star recruit, and he had nine pass breakups last year. When you go from UNC, now you go to Pitt, who won the ACC last year, like you talked about. They lose a plethora of 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 stars and and big name prospects. But they do get former first-round favorite Keaton Slovis to transfer from USC. 
Uh, Slovis as a freshman in 2019, 30 touchdowns to nine interceptions. Um, 28 touchdowns to 15 interceptions since then. But he's got some guys that are going to going to help him. Um, you know, you look at it first. He's got a he's got a draftable offensive lineman in Carter Warren, uh, who projects. He played left tackle last year. I think he gave up five sacks, if I remember correctly. Um, and, and he played mostly left tackle. He played some at right tackle. So I mean, that's a that's a good fit. Um, defensively is where they're led, and, and that's along the defensive line. And and one of those guys is Kalijah Cansey. Um, you know he's a he's a defensive lineman. He's a little undersized. Undersized like, defensive tackle from Pitt. Right, I know. We're no, no, team. no. He's not Aaron Donald. But you know, you look at last year. Six listed at six feet, two hundred and seventy-five pounds. Last year, he had seven sacks and thirteen tackles for loss. Again, let's not do this. But <laughs> those are those are really really good numbers. For it's really productive. Guy. And again, this was the ACC championship team. So uh, I like Cansey. I, I think he's he's not nearly as athletic as Aaron Donald. Um, but I think no. stay tuned. Check us out on Thursday later this week on Patreon, and and Seth has another name for you from Pitt. And finally, Miami, huge, huge hopes for Mario Cristobal and and returning quarterback Tyler Van Dyke. We're seeing we're seeing Van Dyke being mocked in the first round, and we're seeing Miami mocked uh, uh, mocked ranked in the preseason top 10 like they really have a lot of faith in mario cristobal yeah and and you look at what van dyke did last year just under three thousand yards 25 touchdowns six interceptions um they have a they have a intriguing highly thought of prospect in zion nelson of at at a Offensive tackle. We talked about him a little bit a couple weeks ago when we discussed uh, PFF's rankings of the top five offensive tackles in this class. Um, Nelson is a guy that some people love, uh, some people don't. And that's just what it, I mean, that's just what it comes down to. Last year, um, in just under 900 snaps, he had three QB hits and three sacks at left tackle. You know, he is he is a mountain of a man at 6'5", 316. He's got like 35-inch arms, too. Yeah. So, and, and like 11-inch hands. Like, he's a big dude. I, I feel like Nelson is not a high-end prospect, but I also feel like he is a player who's almost too big to fail. So if you get him in the right slot, in the right draft slot, I mean, you could end up with, a, you know, a, a solid right tackle or guard. I think that's probably where he's going to wind up in in uh, somebody's starting lineup. Anything on Coastal before we move over to the Atlantic real quick? You know, Miami's got some, some uh, 
prospects in the defensive backfield, but uh, nobody like really high high end. Um, but just uh, keep an eye on that unit because they're expected to probably improve as the season goes and be a factor. Um, but no, then we can move on to the Atlantic Division, and at the bottom of the Atlantic Division, according to Athlon, and hard to argue, but Syracuse. You know what's really interesting, though, is Syracuse has a guy that's universally loved in Sean Tucker. Um, yeah, I actually back. wrote about him on, on Patreon earlier this summer. And, and so you just wonder, you just wonder, is, is Tucker going to be the next guy that bows out? And like, like if he's getting that much juice to be a, t- I mean, we've talked about with running backs before. If he's getting this much juice as a guy for a, a terrible team, so say, so say they're one and four. Like, if you're him, don't you got to think about your own priorities at that point? That's a really interesting take, <clears throat> but I'm not. I don't think so. I don't think so. And and the reason why I don't think so is because uh, Tucker has played two full seasons. And yet he's still listed on the Syracuse roster as a redshirt sophomore. Now, I don't know if that's the school's doing or if that's if Tucker has influence on that. But by all, you know, you know, by all rights, he's essentially a junior and he's eligible for the draft. And there is no reason for him to redshirt other than the fact that he has the the choice to do so because of the covid year in 2020. Now. That makes me think he wouldn't be the type of player that would that would sit out. If he had any influence on the way he's listed on that roster, it just makes me f- feel like he intends fully intends to play. If he gets nicked up early in the year, that could change his tune. But um, I really think, even though it might make sense for him to opt out, I don't think that's necessary. And I don't think that's something he wants to do. We've talked about this many, many times. Football players, they want to play football. More often than not, they want to. I fully think Jamar Chase, for example, would have played in 2020 had it not been for COVID. And there was so much uncertainty, he just pulled the trigger and made that decision to start training for the NFL draft because he knew he'd be a high pick. But I think had there been more uh, more certainty heading into the season that they were going to play a full season and that it was going to be safe to do so, I think he would have played. I don't think he sat out because he didn't want to risk injury. I think he was probably chomping at the bit to play. And I think that's why most of these guys are still going to play in their draft eligible season. So Tucker almost 1500 yards last year, six yards of carry uh, 20 catches for 255 yards as well. He had 14 total touchdowns. He's the number two returning rushing leader in the FBS. And this is the killer. I don't think this really shows up on tape. But supposedly this dude can run a sub four three, yeah, and if you can do be... that, you're definitely going to be a, you know, at his size, which is what five ten two ten, not huge, but big enough for a running back. But if you can run a four three at that size, you're going to be a day two pick at worst. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see where where he falls and how this winds up. Um... Louisville is next. Malik Cunningham returns for his fifth year, just under 3,000 yards, 19 touchdowns, six interceptions, uh, a little over 1,000 yards and 20 touchdowns rushing last year. 20 we, touchdowns is huge. <laughs> yeah. So almost, almost 40 combined touchdowns. 
Turns 24 in October. That's uh, that's crazy to me that he came back knowing. Yeah. But we've seen that before with other guys. Like we talked about Hendon Hooker at Tennessee. He's also going to turn uh, 25 actually in like January. So he's even older than Cunningham. But that really that's really striking that, he, that Cunningham, after almost 4,000 total yards and almost 40 touchdowns, decided to come back. Yeah, it'll be interesting because when you look at when you look at this group, they get a really intriguing transfer from Tennessee, Tyon Evans. He had five hundred and twenty five yards and six touchdowns in only seven games last year. Last year averaged over six yards per carry, six and a half yards per carry. They list him at five eleven, two twenty, and he's allegedly a four four five guy, which would be you combine that with Cunningham's running style, man, that's going to be a really intriguing backfield to watch. Um, and then they have a fifth-year linebacker in Yasir Abdullah who had 10 sacks and 17 and a half tackles for loss last year. So, you know, they've got some intriguing prospects. I just don't know if any of them are guys that are like they're, – they're all guys that kind of have, I want to say, a little like baggage. And I don't mean like personal problems or anything like that, but like – Cunningham's going to be 24. Uh, Evans is on. He Evans was a JUCO kid who was then to Tennessee, now to Louisville. Uh, like Ab- Abdullah is going to be 24 this year. Like all like it. There's and he's also so, Abdullah is also like a Hassan Reddick type of right. pass rusher. Like he's that size. So he's and, like and so you just look at it, Right. They all just have like question marks. I guess that's the best way to put it. Um, but nonetheless, an intriguing team with, with some intriguing prospects. Speaking of intriguing, a really fun, a potentially fun quarterback wide receiver duo, Phil Jerkovich with Boston College and Zay Flowers. Flowers was on quite the tear before Jerkovich got injured last year. Um, finished with 44 receptions for 746 yards and five touchdowns. He supposedly a 4-4 four, four to sub 4-4 four, four guy. Um, we both like Jerkovic. Obviously, he's not on the same tier as, like, as C.J. Stroud, but he's an intriguing guy. Yeah, Jerkovic really short-circuited last year with a hand injury, and uh, he, he came back late in the year, and I was wondering why he would come back late in the year. I thought it was to... Uh, you know, get some mom- late momentum to go into that draft. But instead, he actually had, he started off pretty well coming back from that injury, had had one big game, and then he had one really terrible game and then decided to come back. So he's a player who's going to be a 24-year-old rookie. So that hurts. That probably pushes him into day two tops. Um, but we did see Kenny Pickett go in the 20s of the first round this past year at, at 24 as a, a guy who was going to turn 24 in a couple months after the draft. Um, but I think Jerkovic, you know, 6'5", 200, about 215. He was at, started at Notre Dame, started his career, I should say, at Notre Dame, then moved on to BC where he looked promising a couple years ago, started last year promising. He's a downfield thrower. He's got some tools. He's got some mobility. 
and he's got Zay Flowers and maybe Jalen Gill, if he ever decides to emerge, a guy who transferred to uh, BC from Ohio State and a guy who's got a lot of talent from an athletic testing standpoint as well. Um, moving on to Florida State, they are that, Athlon has them fourth, in which this is crazy. Con- yeah, they were five and seven last year. It was what Norvell's second year as their coach. Yeah, and it's just it's crazy to put them there because they haven't been good or or done anything for a number of years. I mean, without sounding like a complete jackass, I think the thing that caught most people's eyes last year with them was. In game one, where uh, the kid that his knee exploded, Mackenzie Milton, yeah, came back and played for him and almost beat Notre Dame, right? Like, right. That was that was probably that was probably like the highlight of that. that and they end up losing that game. That was also the Kyle Hamilton highlight game where he ranged across the field for two picks in that game for Notre Dame. But yeah, um, they end up with, you know, FSU end up going with Jordan Travis at quarterback, and he actually played pretty well at times. He's their leading returning rusher, and um, he's now he's going to get a full year as a starter. I believe he's a senior, and I think maybe Athlon has faith in the Florida State defense because they have seven starters back on D. But when you when you look at draft prospects. And I know we've talked about a lot of day three prospects already on this show, but uh, you don't have the star power at all no. on Florida State that you're used to seeing, you know, if you're our age. Right. And it's just, it, it's another one of those programs that's just kind of gone by the wayside, right? Um, next on the list, and this is why it's in, it's insane that this is happening, but you've got Wake Forest ahead of Florida State. <laughs> that's like blasphemy not only um, that but we we just said florida state's ranked too high uh i don't even think florida state's as good as bc or maybe even louisville coming into this season but and and neither it's an of those easy teams, call to put wake ahead of them right and neither neither of those teams is anything to write home about either uh wake forest returns sam hartman he's in his fifth sixth year i think he's like a fifth year sophomore <laughs> These listings are crazy. Yeah, so he's in his fi- he'll he'll be in his fifth year. Yeah, they're listing him as a sophomore or junior, which is insane. Um, but the but the Shrine Bowl was already talking about him, so they're they're treating him as a senior. What's absurd to me about Hartman is that he's improved every year statistically, except in completion percentage. I mean, it's gotten better. Don't get me wrong. They take but, shots. Yeah, right? Yeah. And so you've got, you know, Hartman. Um, they've got a really intriguing wide receiver in A.T. Perry, listed at six foot five. When you look at him, you know, last year you talk about the shots, 71 receptions for 1,293 yards and 15 touchdowns. Um, do we have any idea of what type of athlete he is because at six five it's tough to project somebody it's 18 yards a catch there so you think that's a lot but then you've seen the athletes that have come out of 
wake at receiver like Sage Surratt comes to mind, who was a very productive uh, player at wake as a freshman and sophomore, and then ends up going undrafted because he just doesn't have the athleticism. So Perry's one to keep an eye on. I think it's telling that if you follow as we do, and uh, if you follow like fantasy so football a, Twitter and dynasty, he's Twitter, allegedly a four or five guy, by the way. Yeah, that's I, I I'm not buying that, but if he is at, at six four two zero three, that's gonna be that's gonna boost him. But we've even seen if you know going back a couple of years, Hakeem Butler supposedly being a sub four or five guy, and it still wasn't enough to convince the NFL that he was actually game fast, and and they end up drafting in the fourth round, and now he they're they're really trying to turn him into a tight end. And he's bounced around already in his career. And the other thing, Perry is going to be 23 in the fall, in October. So that means he's going to be 24 as a rookie. So I I think what I was getting at with the fantasy Twitter, the dynasty Twitter, is that like it's kind of a mixed bag on him. You don't see him going high in, in uh, like developmental drafts and fantasy football. But some people are... St- are swearing by him because of his productivity. So I think I'm viewing Perry coming into this year as a player who's going to be probably a mid-round pick when it comes time uh, for the draft. I think he's going to be a higher draft pick than Sage Surratt, but I think he's going to land in the middle rounds, fourth or fifth round off the top of my head after, you know, just some casual viewing. Number two, NC state with Devin Leary. Um, School record for touchdown passes last year, just under 66%, 35 touchdowns, five interceptions. You know whose record he broke for touchdown passes in a season, right? Phillip Rivers? Yeah. Phillip Rivers had 34 at NC State, and Leary broke that record last year. So not too shabby there. Yeah, and it's just, I mean, again, that's why these guys are ranked. You know, Iggy Okwanu came out. They, they – are obviously going to take a hit along the offensive line, but um, and then Drake Thomas headlines the defense there, uh, six sacks, thirteen and a half tackles for loss, and three interceptions last year. Kind of a do it all type of guy, right? Yeah, Thomas is he's a guy. Um, you know, you look at his size; it doesn't jump off the page at you, but um, the productivity he's he's very undersized, six foot two twenty one, but the productivity is there he's got really short arms and he's not that fast so i think what you're going to have is a player who is going to be a really productive college player and you saw how he's, he's he's doing it all he's getting sacks he's getting interceptions he's creating turnovers but ultimately i think this is a a player who's going to be a late round pick and a, a special teamer unless he runs surprisingly fast but right now they're projecting in the four sevens but I, go, I want to go back to Leary real quick because Leary is in his fifth year. I think they list him as a junior, but he's all but certain to this. I, I, I would be surprised if this is not his final college season. And he's a little on the undersized side, 6'1", 217. So he's along the lines of Sam Howell, what he was coming into the year. And he's... An overaged player too, because Leary's going to be 24 in September of his rookie year if he does come out for the draft. But this guy is a gamer, 
and he he's a a really strong player. He's accurate. He does not turn the ball over. Um, doesn't have great mobility, but we saw with Hal that when uh, push comes to shove, some of these guys can make things happen with their feet anyway. North Carolina State loses two running backs to the NFL, much like North Carolina did heading into last season. So maybe we'll see them use Leary's uh, mobility a little bit or use his legs a little bit more this year. But I think he's a player that draft Twitter is going to fall in love with. I think he's going to be a guy that you and I are probably going to be consistently talking about as a mid-round player. But I think draft Twitter might start to fall in love with this guy. He's, I think he's going to be overrated by them and rated properly by us. Um, one thing to note, I've talked about this many times, one negative indicator, it seems, is negative rushing yards in college. And Leary uh, was negative 73 last year on 50, 54 attempts. That counts sacks, as we know, but... That's a little bit of a flag coming in. So maybe NC State uses him a little bit more as a runner to, uh, like like NC did with Hal last year, and try and balance that out. Finally, in the Atlantic, Clemson, despite a down year at ten and three, they were still ten and three, um, which I think says more about what they've done as a. Um, what they've done as a program that they can be 10 and three and everybody's like, God, they, they're just awful all of a sudden. Right. Well, they played the cheese it bowl last year. We're used to seeing them in the playoffs. They were in the cheese it bowl, um, which I actually went to and that was, that was pretty fun. But um, DJ Wiongalele has been a disappointment. There's no question. He had nine touchdowns last year, nine touchdown passes and 10 interceptions. Um, but am I, am I an idiot to think that at, with his size and his athleticism, and I think he still, I think he has a pretty good arm in terms of strength. They ran a terrible dink and dunk kind of offense. And when he did throw downfield, he was wild, but I feel like there's still something there. I don't know. He maybe had the yips or something. He was definitely following in some big footsteps, uh, with Trevor Lawrence, the number one overall pick. That year before, uh, am I crazy to think that DJ you still can figure this out? And um, I'm not, I'm not necessarily projecting him even to go into the draft next year. But maybe by the time, maybe uh, a couple more college seasons under his belt, and he might get some of that credibility back. Yeah, and and maybe they do, right? Maybe I just realized that was a terrible hedge on my part. Like <laughs> I said he might get some No, but I think he can. I I really think that he's got the tools to get that back. Yeah, he does and and that's the thing. He's got some he's got some skill, he's got some talent. Um you know, I think the biggest thing is they just don't they have a veteran offensive line, but it's not it's not, you know, led by a bunch of guys that are getting discussed as top 100 players. Basically he's bigger than some of their offensive linemen. It seems like, and, and they just have really nothing right now at, at wide receiver, which is wild to think about because this is the school that produced Deandre Hopkins and Sammy Watkins. And, um, it just seemed like a wide receiver factory T Higgins and, and Hunter Renfro. And, you know, and all of a sudden it's, they had a bunch of five-star recruits that just never developed. 
you know, it's is that on Dabo? I mean, what what's what's causing this? I think they they've made some changes to their coaching staff. Maybe that's going to help. But um, whereas you've seen the athletes really elevate at Ohio State and uh, Alabama, and I, I mentioned those two schools because they it was like those three and somebody else for a while, right? Then Clemson just dropped out last year, and it seems like they have a a hard road back to that level. But the poll voters, or at least um, you know from what I've seen, a lot of people think fully expect Clemson to bounce back this year. Got an interesting take as we get out of here tonight. Um, well, real quick before we jump to the takes, Clemson is getting oh, a lot of credibility because of their D line. I was going to say, they've got, like, these incredible defensive line. Brian Breesey, Miles Murphy, those are the two juniors. And then you got Xavier Thomas, KJ Henry. We've been waiting forever for those guys to break out, but they're still talented. And then you got linebacker Trenton Simpson, who maybe is, like, a less athletic but similar body type to the Isaiah Simmons, who went to your Arizona Cardinals a couple of years ago. Yeah, and so interesting uh, take from Pittsburgh's head coach Pat Narduzzi. Don't know if you saw this. No. On Ke- on Keaton Slovis. Okay, here we go. He loved the people in Pittsburgh. He didn't come for some nil deal. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Nar- Narduzzi's not a uh, not bitter or taking shots at USC and and Jordan, Jordan Addison. Addison. Or- Caleb Williams and and Lincoln <laughs> Riley at all, right? Well, I for one, I am shocked that uh Keaton Slovis didn't move from Los Angeles, California to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania for NIL. Um I mean, come on, Pat. Uh Keaton Slovis moved because he was usurped as a starting quarterback of Southern Cal as soon as that job was as soon as that job went to Lincoln Riley and uh you know, to Slovis's credit, I think he made the move to go to Pittsburgh. Sure, not for the NIL deal, which is great, but I don't think it, it was because his love of the of the people of Pittsburgh either. I think it was because he saw an opening with Kenny Pickett going on to the NFL and becoming a first round pick with limited, a uh, fairly limited skill set, in my opinion, anyway. Um, he saw an opening there to go and put up big numbers and and possibly elevate. His draft stats. You made, uh, you ran down his statistics when we talked about Pitt, and this is an opportunity for him to still play in a Power Five conference as a starting quarterback. He's going to have a little bit of competition, but I think he's going to win the job here, and he's got a chance to put up some big numbers. But Pat Narduzzi definitely, he's taking a shot at Jordan Addison there. Um, bitter, a very bitter clinger for. Um, you know, making that comment, but I get it though. I mean, look at the numbers Addison put up. He wins the Boletnikov and then he's gone. That's the environment in, in college football. A lot of people hate it. Uh, you and I don't have a big problem with it. We've talked about it. It's what it it is the situation that has been built from this NIL uh, environment. I expect that someday it's going to, to change in some way, but I don't know how that's going to happen but or what that's going to look like but look Jordan Addison had an opportunity to go play for a coach who's produced a lot of highly drafted receivers and 
now he gets to play, at least the perception is going to be that he gets to play higher competition. I'm not even sure if that's true, but that's what's, you know, he's definitely going to be in a bigger spotlight, Addison, in Los Angeles. Slovis, this is a good move for him, too. He gets to go regain uh, a starting job and put up big numbers in a system that he's seen a guy with maybe a similar skill set put up numbers in. So it's it's funny that he said that, but I think this is actually a good move um, for Slovis, and I think Narduzzi's going to end up with a decent quarterback, at least in terms of college quarterback. Anything else before we get out of here? Uh, no, thanks to uh, all our listeners. Uh, keep downloading our episodes. Please give us a five-star review and let your friends know. We've already covered the SEC. We've covered the Big Ten and now the ACC. So next week we will cover the lesser of two evils between the Big 12 and the Pac-12. And I guess that's probably a decision to be determined. So we'll keep you guessing on that one. Yep, thanks for listening. As always, we'll be back later this week on our Patreon with a bonus episode. Have a good night, everybody. We need to do an outro at some point. Just something kind of... What I hear in other shows is where they're like, uh, you know, uh, subscribe and give us a five-star review. Sign up for our Patreon. It's $2.00. A month for our bonus episodes, four dollars a month for all additional content, something like that. Yeah, we should work on something like that. That could be it right there. A a read, yeah. That's it. Exactly.